Hello. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Diagnosing a Killer. I'm Koel. And I'm Kenna. <clears throat> I already have to clear my throat a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> to see you. How's it going, everyone? <sighs> it's been a day. Yeah, a little bit. Just like really throwing in, you know, the rest of the research. And then yesterday it was like kind of rainy and then it was like, bleh. Yeah. And I also just started my period. So it's like, ugh. Ugh. yeah, it's the worst. I'm sorry. I went on a run slash walk today and mm-hmm. I've been doing that like every day for the last like five days. And I feel really good about, about myself. I mean, I haven't seen any results. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm not like skinny. <laughs> of <but> it. <laughs> But just one day walking, I'm I'm thin. I'm just so healthy. Just like follow me for health tips. Um, you know, just you can call me, text me, email us on the podcast. Yeah, I was looking it up today, and apparently running can be really good for your mental health, even and like mm. of course your physical health, but it can boost your mood. It can help um, you sleep better, you know, at night because of course you're expending more energy during the day, and it can also like reduce symptoms of like depression and anxiety. So I was. Wanting to share that with everyone, because of course this is a psychology-based podcast as well. So, yeah, get out and walk or run if you want. I think I have the energy to walk 12 hours a day, but... What do you mean? No? Okay. Like, you need constant relief from depression? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was saying, like, even walking 10 minutes a day or whatever is beneficial. Yeah. My son and I walked up to the little grocery store down the street last week, and it was pretty nice because we got to spend time together, too, and, like, talk. Yeah, of course. And it's really, it makes me feel really safe, like, in our neighborhood because there's a lot of people around the time that I've been going out. There's a lot of people out as well. Yeah. I mean, of course, I carry a knife with me when I go just to be safe, but, and you have my location, but <laughs> She said but she still. was listening to true crime, too, while she was walking, which is probably not the best thing to do. Yeah, so I like, I, I mean, I like to listen to a, a true crime podcast while I'm walking because they're usually about an hour long, and it's just about the same amount of time as my walk slash run. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were, <laughs> we were making jokes earlier where, uh, Koala was like, and then, and then, like, in the podcast, she's like, and then the girl got kidnapped from her own neighborhood. <laughs> it's like, she was just blocks away from her house. <laughs> she didn't realize there was a van down the street. <laughs> it's like they had been watching at her. her all along. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, gee, that was right before I left. She was like, damn it. Now I'm going to think about that this whole time. Oh, anyway. So today we we're going to have a DAK first. Okay. We are going to be talking about the Menendez brothers. Ooh. You know this case? I, I know. I've heard an episode on them, but okay. I, don't, I can't tell you what happens. Okay. So. Well, then I'm excited. It's probably, It's been a while since I've listened to anything about them. Ooh. They're young, right? They were 18 and 21, 22 yeah. when they committed Ugh. the crime. When they committed. When they committed. <laughs> they, they committed. To keep it vague. When they committed. Yep. You don't know what they committed. Burger. Burger. <laughs> strong start. They committed burgers. I was trying to say burglary and murder at the same time. I said burger. Burger. Burgers. Oh, God. So Jose Menendez was born in Cuba in 1944. He was born to an upper middle class family in Havana, Cuba. Jose's mother was a sports hall of fame swimmer and his dad was a soccer player who later owned his own accounting firm. Hmm. His parents' sports careers weren't necessarily the most profitable jobs, but the family was very well-known and respected throughout Havana. 
1959 to 1960, when Castro overthrew the Cuban government along with his revolutionists, things began to change very quickly. The upper and upper middle class were actually forced to relinquish their properties while farms became government property. It was essentially about leveling everything out, right? So that, you know, take from the rich, give to the poor, kind of a leveling out. He, uh, Castro felt just that the U.S. had way too much influence over the people of Cuba at this time. Hmm. So lots of things began to change very quickly. Like I said, it wasn't the type of standard of living that the family had been used to up until this point. Jose was 16 years old when his parents decided to send Jose to the U- to the United States with his brother-in-law, which is his older sister's husband. Okay. And the two began to work and try to establish some type of a life for the family um, for them to eventually move over to the States. Jose and his uncle settled in Hazleton, Pennsylvania, and they were completely broke, not a penny to their names when they arrived. Jose didn't speak any English either, and he's 16. Oh, man, a, that's hard. In a brand new country. Well, you know, like, they say if you're going to teach someone, like, another language, like, the easiest time to learn it is, like, I think it's, like, from, like, five to seven years old mm-hmm. or something like that when you're, like, really developing your speech. Jose did have big dreams, though. He set a goal for himself to be accepted into an Ivy League school at some point. Hmm. No small task, of course. But Jose did work very hard, and he even had a part-time job to assist his uncle at home with rent and bills. Jose was intelligent enough and made remarkable grades in high school, but that wasn't what held him back from attending an Ivy League school and achieving his dreams. What held him back was the lack of finance to help with tuition. Oh, man. Jose was an amazing swimmer, and he did win a scholarship to Southern Illinois University. And although it wasn't his dream, he did attend SIU and used some of the scholarship money to help his family back home. He eventually quit swimming to focus on just studying and swore that if he ever had children of his own, he would be successful enough that his children could live out his dream for him. Oh. By attending an Ivy League school. That's kind of not the way you should go into parenting. Like, okay, cool. Now I have a second chance to, like, make my child do what I couldn't. Well, a lot of people do that, though. Yeah. I mean, and especially where he came up from and stuff, that that was that was his dream. He couldn't achieve it, but he would hope that one day, like, his sons could. Okay. It's kind of interesting, right? Well, quite the opposite happens, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) (laughs) Soon after focusing on his studies, however, Jose met a young lady by the name of Kitty Anderson. Kitty was born in 1941, and she was the baby of the family. She had three older siblings, and the family lived in a small community in Chicago. The family was middle class, and her dad was in heating and air conditioning maintenance, and he made decent money. It was enough money for her and her mother to stay at home, or her mother to stay at home with the kids. Kitty's father was an often angry man, and Mm. Kitty would often hear or witness her father beating her mother and sometimes her siblings. Oh my god, that's so awful. And, like, being able to, like, hear it and, like, not be able to stop it is, like, ugh, I feel helpless. Kitty's father would eventually leave the family for another woman. Good. And she was about five or six at this time. Sorry, but good. If he was beating them, good thing that he fucking left. Yeah, yeah. But this also forced her mother into the workplace. So Kitty's mother actually got a job as a flight attendant, and she would never remarry. Kitty grew up having difficulties making lifelong friendships, and she was a very withdrawn person. Her parents never failed to complain about one another to the children as they grew up. Oh my god. Eventually, this would be the entire reason why Kitty would lose contact with her father. That's, like, that's one of those things that we've talked about before. It's, like, don't bring kids into adult problems. Yeah. Like, they do not have the capacity to understand those complex emotions. Mm -hmm. So bringing them in, like, literally is going to 
It breaks their up. brain. Yeah. yeah. It breaks their little brains. God's awful. Kitty described that her parents' divorce was likely the worst thing that had ever happened to her and her family. Yeah. And if they had split amicably, that might not be the remembrance that she has of that. Or had no contact with her dad, like, at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, she also still has siblings, older siblings that probably still talk to the father. It would have just been better, though, if, like... The parents kind of kept their big fucking mouth shut and then just silently, you know, said, you know, look, it's not going to work out for the kids. Explain it in a way that they can understand. Don't just yeah. fucking argue in front of them and then talk shit about each other. It's not healthy. Because then you're creating people that are going to do that later in their lives when yeah. they do get, you know, married and stuff. Either way, Kitty did graduate and was accepted to Southern Illinois University. Oh. There she began to make friends and found a passion in broadcasting, believe it or not, since oh. she was so shy. She loved learning about radio and television, and she actually became quite popular. Over the course of her four years at SIU, Kitty was thriving. She actually became so confident that she would participate in 1962's Miss Oaklawn beauty pageant. Oh, no. Isn't that cute? What? It's really cute when you said beauty pageant, and all I can think of now is, Franz! (laughs) Franz! Oh, that poor woman. Everyone knows that. I know. What's your favorite food? Fries. Oh, it's awful. Oh man. All right. (laughs) Kitty had decided after graduation that she would move to New York to continue to pursue a career in radio and television. Cool. However, right before she graduated, Kitty met Jose. Oh. This was during his freshman year. His freshman year, and she was a senior. Yes. Scandaloso. Right. Once the two met, they became inseparable. Jose loved that Kitty came from a family that had to start from almost nothing. He loved the idea of the all-American dream, right? Did she speak Spanish, or did he know English at this point? I think he knew English, because this is a few years later. True. And he also graduated with, like, a scholarship. Oh, duh. Okay. For Kitty, I mean, she's got this gorgeous young Cuban man hanging on her, so I bet that felt really nice. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) She was really attracted to Jose. Um, Not only that, that he was an attractive man... But that he had come to America to make his own life, and he was successful at that. Well, he's, I mean, he's clearly, like, he has grit, and he's passionate, you know, and he knows what he wants out of life. That's attractive. You right. know, it's an attractive quality to have. Yeah. That's the oh, two of them. he is handsome. He is I handsome, just looked right? him up. No, he's a, he's a handsome-looking guy. Okay, I can see that. They were almost in their own naive little world, because they were just really attracted to each other, and it was the early 60s. Let's not forget that. There's not a lot of interracial couples walking around. Yeah. Um, most of Kitty's friends wouldn't approve of their relationship since he was Cuban. I'm sorry, uh, Kitty, Kitty was white? Yes, okay, Kitty I, was a white woman. I didn't know if I heard that or not. So not only that, but there's a, they were kind of judged by their age gap as well, you know? Like, I mean, you even mentioned years, a little yeah. bit, like, oh, it's a freshman, senior, ooh, you know? Yeah. Which doesn't seem like a big deal now. We kind of, like, laugh at that, but then it was a little serious for her parents. Yeah, I don't know about parents. all that. <laughs> yeah. So Jose's parents didn't approve of the relationship either. They believed that Kitty and her family were not as affluent as they were. Therefore, yeah, thought that maybe she might have been a little money hungry. Hmm. Which is interesting, right? Because they still see themselves as affluent people. Wait, I'm sorry. His parents? His parents. Still back in Cuba. Okay. Okay. But remember after Castro came in, they don't really have as much as they used to, but they still consider themselves to be affluent, and she was not. Okay. So they kind of seem like, okay, does she really have interest in him, or is she just, like, looking for, you know, something else? Ulterior motive. Mm -hmm. And then especially since he's worked so hard to get where he's at, they might have thought she's trying to come and swoop 
and she was older, you know, she was older. True. They thought she's going to be along for the ride while he does all the hard work. Exactly. So when the concept of marriage came up, they further tried to convince Jose that this was not the best move for him. And they wanted him to focus on school. Hmm. Kitty would graduate from SIU. And in an effort to remain in the relationship, Jose left his swimming scholarship behind and went with Kitty to New York to oh pursue my. her career. His, like, whole life, like, achievement, like, he wanted that, he wanted, like, that makes sense why he wanted it for his sons, because he left school and didn't, oh my god, just for a woman. Right? Just for a woman. They better have lived a happily ever after life. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we're into that. So he enrolled in Queens College, uh, Queens University, I'm sorry. Hmm. Kitty began to teach, and actually within a year of them moving, Jose's mother and father would actually leave Cuba and come to stay in the New York area. And so they were just, like, cool with him leaving, and they were like, let's come visit you, or they're going to try to, like, go change his mind. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. Were they married <laughs> at this point? I... Um, no. Oh, they just moved away together. Right. Okay. Although the growing pressure of the family continued to be ever-present, Jose and Kitty would elope 1963. There it is. There it is. <laughs> There's usually an eloping in this story. It's just funny that it is not the main topic yeah. <laughs> person that has been eloping. I don't know. Maybe maybe in the future they do. Let's see. So with Jose still in school at Queens University and wanting to support his dreams of being the breadwinner for a future family, Kitty decided to not obtain her master's degree, even though she was teaching at this point. She, she decided to not continue her education. It's like, they're just like... This is like a theme in there. They just drop out of school back and forth. That's their thing. She would eventually accept the fact that she would not be pursuing a career in broadcasting, which is really sad. Because that was her dream, you know? Hey, but love makes people do crazy things. It's true. Jose would graduate from Queen's University with a CPA degree and began working for an accounting firm in 1967. So they've been together for four years at this point. Okay. By the following year, the couple would become pregnant, and Joseph Lyle Menendez was born January 10th, 1968. Ooh. It's my birthday. 20 years before you. <laughs> yeah. He's 20 years older than I am. <laughs> Kitty quit her job and decided to be a stay-at-home mom full-time. Okay. Jose continued to climb the ladder in the firm, but after a major disagreement with another manager about the direction that the company was going, Jose decided to leave the firm and began working for Hertz. Okay. He was successful here as well throughout 71. That's where mom and dad bought their car from today. I know. <laughs> as soon as I saw that, I was like, hey. Hey, yeah. By the way, our parents got a new car today, and it's freaking nice. And I'm so jealous. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited for them. Oh, yeah. No, nice they car. they haven't bought a new car for themselves, either one of them, in probably never eight years. Never. Well, I'm saying they haven't gotten, a, they've been driving the same vehicles for the last, like, at least yeah. eight years, but they yeah. don't, they've never bought a new car. I don't think like, I've ever bought a new new car and well this one's technically two years old too, yeah but it's slightly used yeah but it's very nice it's a nice, very nice car so all throughout 71 jose was successful with hertz he welcomed his second son eric on november 27th 1971 72 and 73 passed while jose rose through the hertz company from becoming executive to chief financial officer, and then eventually in 1979, worldwide general manager. Jeez. So he was like doing the nose to the grindstone, doing it. Yeah. By this time, however, Jose had become hardened. Several of his employees throughout the years had lobbied complaints against Jose for being verbally abusive and had stated that he was known to have such a ridiculous standard that rarely any employee was able to meet his mark. Like impossible standards. 
What does that sound like? That sounds like the mental breakdown that we did a couple days ago about narcissistic personality disorder. Yeah. Not making assumptions here. That just sounds like one of the symptoms. So I know we went through those years pretty rapidly, but now we're in 1980. Mm -hmm. Jose would once again switch careers and began to work for RCA Record Company. In the same year, he would sign the Eurythmics. Sweet dreams. Yeah, yeah, the Eurythmics. In an effort to kind of reframe what RCA was doing, just to make it like a little bit more hip. This is in 19, I want to say 82 when they signed. But of course, Jose was really successful at this venture for the most part. But yet he has this tyrannical way of overseeing others that is just like ever more present. Yeah. Like way more buckled down than he was previously and even previously and even previously. It's just like years and years and years go by. And he's just this very hard individual to Mm -hmm. get to understand. He's like leaning almost like too far into his career. Yes. Yeah. Jose would ask his colleagues to call him Joe in an order to integrate himself into a mostly white industry. You need to call me the colonel. Call me the colonel. <laughs> gotta call me the colonel. Um, he would actually regularly poke fun at white colleagues when making simple mistakes in order to make himself seem superior. Which Ew. is interesting, right? Huh. And just, I guess, to make himself feel, again, more important, more yeah. superior, smarter. Jose had made a few questionable business decisions, but overall, Jose was making more money than ever. Hmm. Jose, being at the head of the household, would oftentimes make family decisions without consulting Kitty, like, where they would live. Hell no. You know what I mean? Absolutely like, not. this house isn't good enough, we're moving. Yeah. Pass. Jose wanted his sons to live out his dreams of being rich, successful, and attend Ivy League schools. Red flags. <laughs> All the way around. <laughs> Jose would often tell the children what to eat, what to wear how to speak, who they were allowed to be friends with, and what they could watch and read. Okay, it's one thing to want the best for your kids and to want them to not have to grow up the way that you grew up, but that's beyond controlling. They're not your little employees. Yeah. They're your children. Oh my gosh. Jose would often quiz the kids at the dinner table about current events. Mostly Lyle. He was given the harder questions because he was older. What's his name? Lyle. He was born Joseph Lyle, but he went oh, by his Oh, okay, name. I yeah. see. I was like, I didn't remember his, that being think, his name. Yeah, I think, like, Joseph, because it was close to Jose or yeah, Joe, yeah. right? Like, Joe. making it feel like I'm Joe Sr. and this is Joe Jr., yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, That's oh. kind of the way it... But he went by Lyle. Growing up, the boys would begin to develop stutters, no. anxious stomachs, often having stomach aches, and would grind their teeth in their sleep from the stress. God, that's so terrible to impose, like... Like, such, like, you're holding them to such a high standard, and they're children. Like, they're going to probably get, like, stomach ulcers or something. Like, that's not good for your fucking physical health. It's just, and they're, I mean, they're young. Like, that's so, ugh, that's so they're sad. They're, like, nine and, like, 11. Oh, my God. They're just kids. And you just want them to know, like, everything about everything. Like, again, you're trying to get kids to respond in an adult way. Like, that does not compute. Like, that doesn't yeah. happen. The boys were very average when it came to their grades, and it was suggested to the Menendezes that both of the boys had suffered from some kind of a learning disability. This was immediately shot down by Jose, as he was not willing to admit that his boys needed academic help. Oh, my God. Which, so not only is he, like, making these things happen, but now he's like, nope, nope, they're perfect. Nope, they're, they're perfect. perfect. They're perfect. There's nothing wrong with them. No. Conveniently around this time, the boys' homework was 
very well done. Given the illusion that the boys were succeeding in class. It's him. Oh However, my God. in class, the boys didn't seem to have retained any of the material. What a control freak. Oh my God. Isn't that messed up? And the kids are probably They're like, big- hell yeah, dad, do my homework for me. You know, I don't care. They're not college kids studying like pre-calculus and they need a little help. This is like basic, like middle school homework. God, that's so bad. Like, like the division that and you're like, willing to go. Like, you're robbing them of that education. Seriously. Oh, my God. Like, they're never going to get better. Like, first of all, admit that they have, you know, a learning curve and then take them to get help yeah. if, if needed, you know? Don't just be like, oh, nope, 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 nope. Nope, they're fine. Bye, boy. They literally <laughs> said, here is what might be going on here, but they've never been diagnosed with anything because they never went to go see anybody for it. Oh my God, that's so sad. And could you imagine if they were, if they were, you know, had attention deficit, deficit disorder or something and they were on medication that could help them, they probably would have been succeeding in school. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's so awful. Or if not, just getting a tutor, you know what I mean? If it's not a... A learning disability. Or why doesn't he fucking tutor them if he's so brilliant himself? No, the boys... Boys didn't have time to do that, I guess. <laughs> God. By the time that the boys were in middle school and high school, Jose demanded that the two participate in some kind of a sport. Of course. However, the boys were only allowed to pick a sport that was not a team-based sport so that his sons would be the standouts rather than, rather than fading into a team. No basketball, no football... <sighs> You know, no lacrosse, no soccer. You gotta play, like, golf? Or you gotta be, like, on the dive team? Or you gotta, like... (laughs) Right? Oh, my gosh. This is literally, like, so, so so damaging. It's controlling. To these boys' mental development. Lyle chose to participate in tennis, and soon Eric would choose to follow his brother. Tennis. In tennis. The brothers throughout these years began to become very close. Eric viewed his brother Lyle as some kind of a hero. Lyle seemed strong, and Eric could talk to his brother in a way that he couldn't talk to his father. Of course not. Because he can't be... He can be imperfect in front of his brother, but he can't in front of his dad. Exactly. And Lyle kind of became his father figure. Oh, God. It breaks my heart. The boys usually kept to themselves, choosing to hang out with each other rather than making any new friends. Lyle did have some friends and charisma that Eric seemed to lack. Eric was mild-mannered, quiet, and shy. Even with Lyle's seemingly well-adjusted behavior, he was secretly snuggling stuffed animals and wetting the bed until age 14. Damn it. What? Well, you know what? That's way beyond the age that is normal for bedwetting, and that's a really bad sign. Yeah. This may explain why the bedwetting stopped, but Lyle did have his first girlfriend at age 15. Okay. So maybe it might be like a... A distraction of some kind or, like, a growing up type deal. Okay, That's yeah. why I thought, like, maybe... that That is interesting because I don't know how those two things would correlate, but Just maybe it was, be... like, a mental change, you know? Yeah, like, okay. like a maturity of some kind, yeah, maybe, uh-huh. or, like, focusing on... I don't know. It didn't really specify if there was, like, this specific shift. Or maybe it's documented that it stopped at that age because he said it stopped at that age and maybe it actually didn't. Maybe it didn't, you know? So her name was Stacy. Stacy was a sweet girl, and she fit into this kind of prim, proper facade that the Menendezes had going on, so she kind of fit in perfectly. She worked on the tennis team as a manager, like, at their school. They okay. went to Princeton Day School, and so part of... <coughs> <laughs> 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 
<laughs> I told you my throat is dry. I sound like Voldemort. <laughs> so she was like, you know, like in high school, there's like some people that are part of like the equipment team yeah. or whatever. So she's like a manager, right? Okay. And he's playing tennis on the team. Not team, but you know. Yeah. Oh, no, it's an individual sport. It's an individual sport. <laughs> Let's so. make that clear. He can't be very, very clear. people. Yeah. <laughs> Lyle loved movies, and some of his favorite memories around this time were watching films with Stacy. Um, he could really escape those harsh realities that Jose had kind of created at home. Stacy and Lyle would date all throughout high school, and they were even voted, quote, most likely to be married, end quote, which Aww, is kind of cute. That is cute. And that was by the end of senior year. However, the couple would split once Stacy moved off to college. Mm. So Eric, the younger brother, spent the first two years of high school living in his older brother's shadow. But Eric didn't kind of mind this because a lot of the pressure and the focus was put onto Lyle Mm -hmm. while they were in high school together. But this doesn't mean that Eric went on without craving the nurturing attention from his parents, of course. So by 1986, Lyle had applied to Princeton University and planned on staying in Jersey to attend college, while Jose had founded a company called Live in Hollywood, California, moving the whole family to Hollywood, Without anybody's fucking, like, knowledge or anything like that. But why can't Lyle stay, though, because he's going to college? That's what Lyle said. He said, I'm I'm applying to Princeton. I'm not moving. And Jose was like, okay, well, we will rent you an apartment or a dormitory or whatever. Yeah. No, that reminded me when you said this is what you wanted. Like, this is literally what his dad's dream was for his kids. And now he's going to be like, nope, sorry, move to California. No, yeah. It was mostly Eric that took the brunt of this because he was literally uprooted from the only high school he'd ever known. And he didn't have a choice. He didn't have a choice. And he moved across the country Literally. not like to another state but like across the country to the other side of the country away from knew. the only person that he could be like imperfect in front of his exactly. brother exactly god that's awful isn't that awful this feel really bad for eric so again halfway through what would be his high school career he starts attending calabasas high kitty around this time had begun to suspect that eric was gay mm. because he never seemed to be interested in dating and, of course, Kitty had to keep this to herself. She knew that Jose would just have none of that. No, my, my kid's not gay. No, my kid's not gay. Perfect. He's perfect. Yep. He's not gay. Perfect, meaning not gay. Yeah. That's awful. That's terrible. So. You can just hear it, though. Yes. You can just hear it. Especially exactly. with the learning disability thing. Like, you can just fucking hear it. So, after Eric began to attend Calabasas High, Kitty told Eric that he had to find a girlfriend within six months of school. Like, you have to have a girlfriend. You have to have a girlfriend. Setting them up for so much failure. Isn't this awful? It's like, you are wrong. Yeah. If you're feeling this way, you are wrong, and now this is what you have to do to please your father. Yeah. Is go against, I'm not sure if he is gay or not, but it's go against, like, what you could potentially be feeling, and now imagine the identity fucking crisis that he had. And it's all for the look of the family. Like, it looks better on us that you have a girlfriend. I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say that these two boys killed their parents <laughs> later <laughs> in life. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm being serious. That okay. is... Oh, God. That's my guess. That's a good guess. I don't actually remember this story at all, so... That's a good guess. Um, God, that's awful, though. Eric met a young lady and began sort of talking with her. Eric was interested in the girl, but the girl not so much. She found him to be quite odd because he was quiet, he was shy... And he was honestly a little pushy. Oh, I wonder why. Right? He's like, okay, um, we have six months. <laughs> My girlfriend, right? A little while later, the two would actually run into each other at a party. Eric, wanting to force this relationship, 
perhaps only for the sake of his controlling parents, locked the girl into a bedroom at the party and uh-huh. began to plead, no. beg, and force this girl into being with him. She was able to escape unharmed, but, like, whoa. Why does it have to be that one girl? Why can't he just find another girl that's interested in him? Yeah, I don't know why he chose her. I mean, I he could have even had the pressure of his parents being like, that one. I don't know, you know? <laughs> Pick her. Pick her. God. <laughs> Like, like their invasion of the body snatcher people. You need a good host. But that's pretty much like yeah. That's it. all we really know about her. Okay. I, I, out of respect for her, I didn't choose to include her name. Okay. As I said before, Lyle was able to convince Jose to let him stay in New Jersey to attend Princeton. So finally, Jose has made it. Right, one of his sons is going to an Ivy League school. Right. No, he tried to not let him in the beginning. Like he tried to move him to California. Lyle was actually not accepted when he applied the first time to Princeton in 1986. Oh, no. Jose was livid. Uh, like, yeah. Livid that Lyle didn't get accepted. So Jose told Lyle, like, you can't try, come try here. again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you can't come God. to California. Yeah. So Lyle opted to enroll in community college while he waited for his answer for the 1987 school year. Jeez. Yeah. So during the summer of 1987, Lyle would meet a young lady named Jamie. Jamie was a server at a local restaurant and an avid tennis player. Needless to say, Lyle fell in love very quickly. However, Jose and Kitty were not happy that the two were dating as Jamie was five years older than Lyle. Oh, I'm sorry. Isn't that exactly what you fucking did when you were in college? Right? And you left <laughs> school for her and right? then your parents got mad and I'm sure you were like, and my parents are being so fucking And now you're doing the same fucking thing. Yep. Oh my god, that is... There is not a lot of things worse than a fucking hypocrite. <laughs> furthermore, Jose felt like the relationship would be way too distracting when Lyle would eventually be accepted into Princeton. Oh, because he just can't accept the fact that he didn't get accepted. Yeah. No, that, that didn't what, happen. What He's about perfect. fucking Jose that literally left a swimming scholarship and just fucking ran off to New York? Yeah. And you're saying, like, at least he's there. At he's least he's enjoying his time. hypocrite. He is a fucking hypocrite. So I literally wrote in here... I found this interesting because when Jose met Kitty, da, 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 like yeah. I recap, but I'm so glad you caught on. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, that's the worst. God, what a <sighs> dummy. Like they were essentially the same, like the same age. In the like, same space, scenario, yeah. almost. And he didn't even leave school. He just started he dating her. He exactly. was still trying to please daddy and yep. get into this fucking Ivy League school. Ooh. Ivy League school. Ivy League. Ivy school. League. Further compounding this whole like scenario that they hated Jamie. Eric had actually begun to date a young girl named Janice, which Kitty and Jose just adored. She was perfect. Because they picked her out. They picked her out. (laughs) (laughs) So Lyle would be accepted into Princeton for the 1987 school year. And with this exciting news, Lyle wanted to continue this feeling of being accepted and loved by this amazing person. He, like, finally got away from his dad, all this stuff. So he actually proposed to Jamie. Here we go. Another elope situation. (laughs) He announced to his parents that Jamie and him were engaged and soon to be married. Of course, Jose and Kitty hated this. It was just the worst thing that he could have done. Because that's not, like, anything like what they did. No, not at all. Not at all. They believe that the only explanation as to why this woman would want to marry Lyle is because his family is wealthy. Sound familiar? Sounds like Jose's fucking parents. And then they're doing the exact same thing. It just irks me because you know when they were that age, like, they were so annoyed by the, the way that his parents were acting. Yeah. They were like, wow, I can't believe they're acting like that. Oh and now God. they're doing yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. 
I'm sure that his parents also never failed to remind Lyle that all he was good for was, like, money. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, she only wants you for your money. She only wants you for your money. I don't even know why you're with her. She's a gold digger. Like, she doesn't actually love you. She just wants your money. Nonetheless, Lyle was steadfast in his decision to be with Jamie, although Jose's wish would come true when Jamie was offered a job teaching in Alabama, teaching tennis. However, Jose would be shocked when Lyle expressed that he would want to follow Jamie and quit Princeton. Like, double down, dad. (laughs) Double down! Jesus. And did he? Jose was so infuriated by this that he actually paid someone in Europe to sponsor her for a 12-city European tennis tour. I'm sorry, what? Neither Lyle nor Jamie knew this at the time, but either way, Jamie would take the opportunity to do the tour in Europe, and she left Lyle in New Jersey. It's fucked up, right? That is an entirely new level of control. I'm going to literally control your future by taking this woman out of your life without you both either either of you knowing that i did that oh my god that is so fucked up oh my god oh my god okay it pisses you off beyond belief like that somebody would do this to their child that is so gross you can tell he's also fucking jealous as shit of his kid that's in princeton oh i'm sure she's gorgeous too actually i think i've seen pictures of her she is gorgeous (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that like actually makes my stomach hurt that is so fucking gross So when you're accepted into Princeton, you actually have to sign this kind of decree saying that you're going to follow all the rules. There is no bending. There is only breaking these rules when it comes to manipulating them. And we all know that Lyle isn't known for the best academic performance. So with his first semester at Princeton, Lyle would be accused of plagiarism. By who? Of course, Lyle had a beautiful excuse as to why his paper looked so much like his lab partner's. But this would not save him from having to attend a disciplinary hearing before a committee. Oh my god. So he's like very serious. It's like very serious. He did it though. Well, I didn't really put it in here, but essentially he had said that on a family trip to California, he had taken his like study journal or something with him and he had lost it either on a flight or in the airport or something. Well, he had this paper that was due like, within the next few days, and that's why he was going back, was because he had this paper presentation or whatever it was, or this paper that needed to be due. So he had asked his lab partner for notes, and it was too much like his partner's, oh, is what his claim was. Okay. But he actually, like, big ol' fat did it. Probably. <laughs> like, probably. Yeah. Okay. But that was his excuse. But either way, it's like, even if it wasn't I just feel like I would remember quite a few things if I personally wrote them down or typed them out. I would at least remember, like, certain phrasing or at least even when we do these cases, I remember certain things that I've written down. Yeah. But I could probably just go through the story even if I didn't have this in front of me, right? So how long could it come on? Yeah, that's true. (sighs) Well, this isn't the worst um, crime in this story, so we don't need to dwell too much on it. (laughs) Exactly. I need This is the crime. He was sentenced. He was sentenced. Um, when oh, Jose, no. when, well, when Jose found out about this hearing, Jose himself wrote a statement that Lyle was to read verbatim in front of the committee representatives. I can do this better <laughs> than you. You need to read exactly what I wrote and everything will be okay because I'm fucking perfect. <laughs> this guy really Af- bugs me. After a four-hour hearing, Lyle was found guilty of plagiarism and was suspended from, from school for an entire school year. I'm surprised they didn't yeah. just, like, flat out kick him out. Well, I'm just, I don't know. 
I don't know why they did or didn't or whatever, but... Do yeah. you think it's, like, the degree of plage? It's, like, it, d- it depends. Well, maybe. <laughs> like, maybe you had a good enough case, you know? Maybe they were like, he Anyways, thanks for listening to Diagnosing it. a Killer. I'm cool. That's it. Let's go. <laughs> so he was sentenced. Uh, he was found guilty That's of plagiarism. Suspended from school for one year. Well, that think, can't be good. Do you think Jose was like, yeah, okay, cool, come to California for a vacation for the next year? No, he's like, so which other Ivy League school are you going to apply to? Hell no. He fucking flew his ass out there and he demanded to speak with speak with the Princeton president. <laughs> yeah. He did one worse than I thought. He did. He literally flew and was like, I need to speak to the Princeton president because right now. He is not. He's a narcissist. You can tell he's a fucking narcissist. He thinks like his, he's going to sway yeah. this dude's mind. Just just hear me out. Just hear me out. Just let me talk to him. I, yeah. I'll talk to him. Everything I'll talk fine. to him. Everything's fine. Surely there's something we can do. Surely there's some kind of a donation I can make. Surely. I can give you all this cash that I just carry around in my pocket all the time. (laughs) Surely. This $100,000 I just happen to have in my back pocket. Yes. Oh, my God. Jose thought that the punishment was absolutely unfair, and he really couldn't argue with Lyle's poor grades. And that's essentially what the the principal, not principal, but the president said. He was like, you're lucky we didn't just let him go. His grades are terrible. Yeah. And... The one time that he gets a really good grade, it's for plagiarism. Like, yeah. it's plagiarized. It's ridiculous. And Jose slash Joe is, like, well, like, just completely, like, dumbfounded. Like, I don't know what to say. The president of Princeton stood by the decision that the committee had made and told Jose that as long as Lyle stayed out of trouble for the remainder of the year, he would be able to attend this time next year, being the fall semester of 1988. Granted, his grades <laughs> were better when he came back. <laughs> right. Hopefully. Lyle didn't want to wait a year to continue his education, and he actually asked Joe if he could just transfer to any other university in the area. Of course, Jose told him no. Yeah. He insisted that Lyle come back to California and work for him at his company live until he would be able to come back to Princeton the next fall. Oh, but don't worry. You're not off the hook. You're going back to Princeton. You're going back to Princeton. But you're going to work while you're you're not there. Yeah, exactly. But you're going to go to work. Which is not uncommon. And you're like, oh, if you're not in school, then you got to be working, (laughs) right? I'd probably fucking do the same thing. (laughs) Lyle did as he was told, and he went to work for Jose. Lyle fucking hated it, needless to say. (laughs) He felt like everyone around him picked on him for being the boss's son. But in reality, Lyle was disliked because he had a terrible attitude, and he was overall... And his overall despondency. Well, I'm sure that Jose, like, never let anybody forget about his fucking nepotism, though. Like, I'm sure that he was like, oh, my son can do this and that and the other. Like, boasting about him, even and though he's not even though perfect. He's a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> just like him. He was essentially a brat, so everybody just thought he was a brat. He misplaced important paperwork. He would call off to go play tennis. Like, Lyle, you're not really trying here, okay? Yeah. Even with all of this, Lyle would begin to see that Jose's domineering personality was all over the office, not just at home. So this is the first time he's had, like, exposure to, like, oh, shit, my dad's like that all of the time. He's, my dad's an asshole. My dad's an (laughs) asshole. He would witness Joe yelling and name-calling his employees. Mostly he could feel the air be sucked out of the room anytime Jose would walk into it. Oh my god, that's so miserable. So miserable. (laughs) So maybe that's the reason um, for Lyle not to be there sometimes. <laughs> like, just, I'm going to go play tennis instead of witnessing how important my dad is to people. He's like, at least I have eight hours out of the day that I don't have to deal with him because yeah. he's at work. Exactly. Jose intended to treat Lyle like every other employee, and honestly, I think more so to, like, prepare him for the real world kind of thing. This is how it's going to be. You better get fucking prepared. Yeah, exactly. This is how it's going to be. <laughs> like, it doesn't have to fucking be like that. Yeah. 
you're making it like that. First of all, and even if that is how it's going to fucking be, why do I have to do it now? Why can't you just let me experience that when it's going to be, be instead of He's making it? Yeah. He's like 18, 19 at this point. Oh my God. <laughs> that's, that's what he sounds like in my mind. <laughs> One day you're going to have to do this. You're not going to like it. You're going to have more you get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you're gonna have to do things you don't like. <laughs> it's, it's being an adult. God. Wait, Jose had even <laughs> I forgot about this. Jose even made Lyle schedule appointments to see him at the office. Make an appointment. You can't, <laughs> <laughs> you can't just go talking to a doctor if you don't want to. What are you gonna do? You, you gotta make an appointment. Not always gonna be on your time. It's the real world. <laughs> so eventually like everybody around the office is like it's really difficult to work with lyle he's unreliable all this other stuff and his like kind of like advisor guy came in and jose was like if he was a regular employee what would you do and he said i'd fire him so jose fired him the real one Sometimes you get fired. It's the real world. Figure it out. I'm gonna feel like such a dick if this guy dies later. Jesus. Will you though? Will you? Oh. During this time that Lyle was working for Live, Eric was somewhat thriving on his own in school. I Not- was just about to ask about Eric. What yeah. is he doing? Not um, you know, in the shadow of his brother. He kind of started over in Calabasas and it seemed like it was really good for him. He was really successful at tennis. He was actually the number one on the high school team, quote unquote. Because oh. it would be on Jose a team. didn't like yeah. that word. No, yeah. He went to the high school and he was like, hey, how much money to change that to change word the in the yearbook? <laughs> how about he's the only tennis player yeah. in high school? So he was the number one on the high school team and he actually made it to 44th in the U.S. placement. Damn. Isn't that right. cool? And the under 18 tournaments. But yes, that's really cool. So Eric, who is now dating Janice, um, and through Janice had also met Craig, who was his Craig Craig Canarelli he was um the tennis captain oh okay the two became fast friends and they had admired each other's ambitious natures and successes um along with this though the two were all actually really bad troublemakers they felt like they could get away with quite a bit because they were just really popular and they were successful and they you know came from rich families and all this stuff so they would run around the streets at night, and they would try to steal stuff from cars or, like, committed small vandalisms around the neighborhood. The two daydreamed about being in films, like, directing films and such. And the two actually wrote various screenplays um, or write, like, movie scripts. They thought they were going to be, like, directors or, like, mm-hmm. the actors. That's kind of odd that, like, two really successful, like sports guys at school would be like committing petty crimes you know when they're not well they, they they it's affluenza they thought they could just get away with it that's true it's just to them it was like rough housing like there's mm. nothing wrong with it daddy will take care of it if i get in trouble exactly notably eric and craig wrote a piece about a son who murders their parents in mm. order to receive a hefty inheritance no by the time Lyle moved back and then was fired from live the three began spending a lot of time together uh, come the summer of 1988 the three began escalating their delinquency to robbing homes. Oh, no. Mostly they stole jewelry and cash to supply their fun, like going out on the town or shopping. But really, they were just pretty much trying to stay out of the house as much as possible. Is another reason. And Eric still has this girlfriend during this time? 
So I don't think that Eric and Janice were dating anymore at this point, but it was mostly that you knew that that's how they met Craig. But oh. even then, it, it kind of stopped being Craig, too. It was mostly just Eric and Lyle that were committing <laughs> these. Jesus. Keep it in the family. These strings of robberies wouldn't go unnoticed in the surrounding area of Eric and Lyle's family home. Oh. Police began to investigate these robberies and heightened patrol in the area. The police would soon find a break in the case as the boys had returned a safe from a previously burgled home. The boys either returned it because of guilt or maybe they didn't want it in the house, maybe in fear of that Jose would might find it. Or they couldn't get it open. They were like, okay, let's put this back. Either way, the dummies returned it to the wrong house. Oh my gosh. Although this house had also been previously burgled. They couldn't remember which house the safe belonged to. So, yeah. Jeez. Eric and Lyle had also been pulled over on a traffic violation, and stolen items would be found inside the car they were driving. By this time, Eric and Lyle had stolen over $100,000 worth of cash and goods. Oh my gosh. Jose, of course, was pissed. <laughs> he immediately hired an attorney and was advised that since Eric was a minor, if he, th- he was the one that took the fall for both boys, Lyle would not be charged. Oh my god. And Eric would have a lesser sentence. No, that sucks. Eric had no choice. He did take the fall for his brother and was sentenced to have community service and that both boys were to go through psychological counseling. Thank you. Somebody, right? Jesus. (laughs) The parents aren't going to do it. The court will. We're a fucking hour into this episode. They finally got fucking help. The court had ordered that all property that was still, you know, salvageable be returned to the victims and anything that wasn't recovered needed to be paid off which Jose did pay off $11,000. I'm sure he was just like, here, just take it. I have it in cash right here. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh, how much is this going to cost? It's a real world. (laughs) (laughs) When any friends or family asked Jose or Kitty questions about the robberies and why the boys would have done such a thing, they blamed Eric's friends, saying that they were bad influences and the boys were just naive and were essentially tricked into doing it. They weren't the masterminds no. at all. No. They were just naive. They were tricked. Even though they did it by their damn selves. Yeah. Like, a whole-ass robbery a bunch of times by their damn selves. Yeah. That was just... They were just coerced. Yeah, They're of course. Just innocent, innocent bystanders. Needless to say, I guess uh, Eric wasn't allowed to be friends with Craig anymore. <laughs> Poor Craig. <laughs> <clears throat> Poor Craig. He probably got blamed for a lot of things. Being one... Uh, <laughs> the last part of that was just being one of the guys, I guess. <laughs> They're just being one of the bros. It's real life. It's like six strangers living in one house. True story. (laughs) (laughs) Is it six strangers or eight? It's seven. Oh, shit. Seven (laughs) strangers living in one house. True story. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. You don't need real ink to make an impact. Let the power of temporary tattoos tell your story. Temporary Tattoos specializes in a wide range of temporary body art, including custom tattoos, with the option to add unique effects like metallic, glitter, glow-in-the-dark, and so much more. Temporary tattoos are easy to apply and last up to five days. When you're ready for your new look, simply remove your fake tattoo using their lemon-scented removing wipes, rinse, and repeat. Temporary Tattoo, experiment with a new look without the commitment. Use the link in the show notes below for 10% off stock tattoos and bring your new look to life. Both brothers completed counseling treatment, although Eric liked his psychologist so much, he really felt like it helped him, so he continued to seek counseling afterwards. Oh, that hurts my heart. You know, with the same guy. So this, yeah. Yeah. 
After this incident, Jose felt the immense judgment of the people all around him in his neighborhood, you know, since his kids had, like, robbed everybody's fucking house. So he just up and left. Everyone just moved. He claimed that the family was receiving harassing phone calls, that his tires had been slashed on a few occasions, and he just overall didn't feel safe. So he decided that the best move was to move closer to Beverly Hills. Oh my god, your kids are the fucking problem. It's not anyone else, it's your children. (laughs) Uh, And you. Oh god, I just don't feel safe. Let's move to one of the biggest fucking neighborhoods. Most expensive, most fucking expensive, city. affluent fucking city. Where Nobody all will the find cool us people. there. Well, that's a narcissistic <laughs> tendency, too. You want to surround yourself with people that are, like, high status. It's true. And then, okay, so not only that, but I was just thinking, like, all of these people that are around him in this, like, Calabasas area that's, like, talking shit about him and, like, all this sort of stuff, he's like, I'm going to prove them better. Like, I'm going to get a gigantic house and they're going to see, like, they're talking isn't going to, like, keep me down. You know what I mean? Calabasas is, like, a really nice part of Cal. Oh, Calabasas <laughs> is really nice. I'm not saying that's that That's where the not. Kardashians live. I know. <laughs> some lived. of them. It's just that it's not in the city. Yeah. That's the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. It's, like, not close to Beverly Hills. It's not in the middle of it all. Like, that's exactly. He wants, it's not in the middle of it all like yeah. he wants to be. Like, people go to Calabasas <laughs> to escape Beverly Hills. Yeah, You know what exactly. I mean? But that's the whole thing. It's, like, it would be the equivalent of, like saying, you know, oh, well, like, I live in New Braunfels in this really nice area, but, like, I'm gonna move to San Antonio because it's a city, or I'm gonna move to Austin because it's yeah, a city, you know it's what it's I mean? It's more populated. Like, it's more populated, it's more expensive, it's more More whatever. people for me to boast around. <laughs> exactly, and that's what I mean, like... That's so gross. So Lyle would go back to Princeton in 1988 for the fall semester. Oh, he went back. He did. Well, of course, he was gonna stick around his fucking... Fu- especially not after that, True. Jesus. Ugh, I'm sure he was excited to go back. After he got himself arrested. He was shocked, however, to see that his once-single-tenant arrangement was not honored this semester, and Lyle was given a roommate in the dormitories. Lyle called his father immediately and told Jose about this arrangement. He's pouting. And of of course, Jose flew into a rage about this. Once again, he wrote a letter, Jose, wrote a letter to the school requesting that Lyle be in a single room, and it didn't matter the cost. (sighs) Yes. I'm gonna write a letter. I'm gonna write a. I'm gonna write a strongly worded letter. That I love is to say that. So stupid. Like I ordered extra avocado, and when I got home, it wasn't on my sandwich. I'm gonna write a strongly worded letter. Yep. Dear Mr. Royal Hampton, <laughs> <laughs> Lyle met a man this semester named Donovan. Donovan loved to travel cross country. He happened to just land at Princeton to finish his degree. Right. Is this his roommate? No, just a friend. And they were roommates. And they were roommates. But did he, did they honor the single they dorm did. thing? Yeah. Ew, they did. Yeah, they Ew, did. So he got what he wanted yet a fucking again. Yeah. Him and Jose of course, got what they yeah. wanted. Exactly. Well, they didn't want him to be distracted. Oh, of course Which is not. so funny because Lyle was always described as, like, never leaving his dorm. Like, ever. Like, not even to do, like, extracurricular activities. It was just, like, tennis, kind of, and then, like, studying, quote unquote. Yeah. Sleeping. Sleeping. He was probably uber depressed. He was probably excited to have quiet. It's true. Fuck. Lyle and Donovan became fast friends, and the two were almost inseparable. Kitty and Jose permitted Donovan to be Lyle's friend, and oh. even offered to pay Donovan to Donovan. <laughs> Donovan. <laughs> Donovan. Who's Donovan? I don't know who that is. It's Donovan's brother. They paid. Donovan to complete Lyle's homework and research papers so that Lyle wouldn't fail and he could just focus on tennis. My God. (laughs) No, they fucking didn't. Yes, they did. 
Coinciding with this, Lyle would continue to rob in the local area, specifically in the family's old neighborhood and the dormitories. This is enabling at its fucking finest. It's like, oh, he he couldn't possibly be bothered to study. He needs to rob things. (laughs) (laughs) Ugh. Oh my god, that's disgusting. Rumors began to spread that either Lyle or Donovan could have been the perpetrator due to the mistaken eyewitness that saw one of them go in and out of a a dormitory. Okay. Lyle saw his opportunity for an out. In a big display, Lyle and two other friends would loudly confront Donovan as being the person who was sneaking into rooms and stealing from other students. Oh, that's so dick. Isn't that fucking disgusting? He just, like, first of all, he's literally getting you through school by doing the academic shit for you, and now you're just going to turn on him and, oh my god, make him out to be this criminal? After these very serious allegations that were made, Donovan was so embarrassed and and distrusted by others that he would quit Princeton and move away. Oh my god, that breaks my heart. That's so sad. Poor Donovan. He's the true victim. Well, at least he got away when he fucking did. Jesus. Eventually, Lyle would be investigated for these crimes after a buddy of Lyle's listened to an audio recording that Lyle recorded of himself burglarizing a home. Wh- yeah. Why did he have an audio recording I don't like, device know. on him while he was doing this? I don't and know. why was it actively Was this around recorded? when those, like, talk boys were around? <laughs> Maybe, but, like, what, do you want the document? or like maybe no you know what it was he's so dumb because he couldn't remember what he stole the safe and so he has to document because now if he steals something he has to return he has to remember where he was duh that would make so much (laughs) sense we didn't get caught again if he ever felt the need to return something yeah no definitely i mean that had to have been the motive for sure like there's no other explanation other than he's just a fucking dummy oh my god that's yeah apparently he had it like hooked up to his car so they were like listening to the tape while they were like driving down the street or some shit sounds like me listening to podcasts yeah exactly (laughs) it's like listening to a podcast but it's like of yourself robbing people you don't you don't do that (laughs) destroy this audio recording (laughs) evidence we're actively been burglaring this whole time (laughs) we're actually burglarizing people right now we're doing and this is our alibi (laughs) We're in a closet, I promise. No, we were recording the podcast. We're in whose closet? Whose closet? (laughs) (laughs) So this friend had come forward to police about this information. And around this time, Lyle actually began to date a model named Christy. Ooh. She was nine years older than Lyle. So you can imagine (sighs) what the parents had to say about this. I'm sure they were like, don't date anybody older than you. Even though we fucking did that. And then we moved across the country from each other. (laughs) So Lyle expressed his desire to quit Princeton and move to L.A. and attend UCLA. And, of course, Jose didn't want any of that. He did not entertain that at all. He thought that Lyle wanted to move because he knew that police were looking at him for robberies. I mean, essentially, that's probably another big reason why he was like, yep, yeah, let's get the fuck out of here. Like, I'm, I'm leaving. Are we, are we ready to hate Jose? Like, just full-on hate Jose? No. I already do. Lyle had even bigger news to tell his parents over the phone. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Christy was pregnant. Oh my god, I thought I heard that. I saw that coming. <laughs> Jose immediately flew to New Jersey to confront Christy. Jose told Christy that she was not to keep the child and paid her $100,000 to have an abortion. Oh my 
god. I literally... Oh my god, that's not fucking funny at all. I'm so sorry. It's, it was just my terrible. face that made was, you laugh yes, and then it made yeah, me laugh. I literally... I did, could not even speak for a second. That is so... That's so uncomfy. Fucking <sighs> disgusting. She did. But. She did. Oh my god. I mean, it's like... And then she left Lyle, of course. Like, use, you know, whatever money, however much it costs, and then the rest is literally, like, fucking hush money it's and hush leave money. my family alone. It's fucking awful. I can- Oh my god, that is so fucking Like, he's not even allowed gross. to, like, be with anybody. Like, nobody. God, I kind of feel bad for him. Like- It's awful. I almost feel like- You're right, like, he is getting the worst of it between it's him abuse. and Eric. It's abuse. Oh, it's absolutely abuse, through and through. Yeah. That is, oh my god, that is so disgusting. And he was, like, excited to tell his parents this news. Yeah. He's like, I'm coming home because of this great news. And Jose's like, you're not coming here. And he's like, well, this is the news. Like, nope. He flew there without Lyle knowing. I don't know what transpired between Lyle and Christy. If she just said that she lost the baby or whatever, but without Lyle knowing, he met up with Christy and paid her $100,000. That is so... It, this, it, like, and then the other girl... Yeah. That he called the person in Europe to, to call... Oh, my God. To sponsor her. Like, I want you to sponsor her. I will pay you to sponsor her. Get her Can out of you, the country. Um, like, I am so fucking glad that we don't know anybody that's that fucking manipulative and controlling. Like, that's that awful. is... Dis- it literally makes me nauseous. That is so despicable. Like, that is a... He is a shit of a human. So, Lyle's grades were so abysmal, which I'm sure he was going through a lot of depression as well because of everything that's going on. Um, he was placed on academic probation. Furthermore, Lyle was placed on disciplinary probation from a, f- a party that he had thrown in the common room of the dorms, but it had destroyed two pool tables, which, of course, he blamed on his friends, but... It was Donovan, even though he doesn't go to school here anymore. It was him. It was Donovan. It was Don- <laughs> Wherever he went. He, he's MIA. I don't he know. He showed up randomly, and yeah. then he did that, and now he's I gone. have the tape recording if you want to listen to it. <laughs> it's definitely him. It's not me. Um, his license had also become suspended. His reputation was just quickly becoming tarnished, and um, it started extending to his parents' reputation as well. Oh, they didn't want that. The family was suspended from the country club that they attended. After Lyle destroyed some of the property, he drove a golf cart through the property. This is just a sporadic, like... He's just, he's he just all care. over the place. He just doesn't fucking care. He doesn't Do you think care. that he knew that his dad did that to Christy, and that's... He was, like, trying to make, sure like, make him look bad? about a billion different things. It's true. He just doesn't give a shit. He's probably drinking a lot. I don't know what kind of drugs he was doing. Yeah. Kitty and Jose were completely fed up at this point. Eric was soon going to college, and Eric was looking forward to moving away at this point, much like Lyle had. But to Eric's disappointment, Jose told Eric that he was to stay at the house so that they could keep an eye on him academically. Because he, there's no way he can go off to college because look what happened to Lyle. Exactly. And he fucked up, and now look at him. He's a fuck-up. He's Furthermore... A fuck up. Jose and Kitty insisted that they would buy Lyle a two-bedroom condo in Jersey so that they could stay with him any time that they wanted to. Like a routine checkup thing. Enabling. How embarrassing. <laughs> what really got to, the, to them the most was that their parents threatened to take the boys off of their will. What? They said, if y'all keep fucking up like this and like blah, blah, blah and all this stuff... There's, like, no inheritance for you, nothing. You'll just be on your ass. 
that's fucking motive right there. Let her do this before they take us out of their will. At this time, the the will included a almost $20 million life insurance uh, policy to the beneficiary through Jose's company, not to mention all of the assets, including the four acres they still own in Calabasas and the Beverly Hills home that they had, and now the condo in Jersey. Yeah. Lots of property. Kitty had told her own therapist around this time that she had become very concerned about her son's behavior. She told her therapist that she believed that the boys were narcissists and capable of showing little to no remorse for the people that they hurt, and she feared them. Who does that sound like? Her fucking husband. Her husband. (sighs) Needing a break from all of the stress, Jose offered to take the family on a fishing trip, chartering a boat with a staff on board in mid-August, before college would start back up in the fall. How much does it cost? Just whatever you want. Here, just write a blank, here's a blank check. Just write (laughs) whatever you want. It's reality. It's life. Jose and Kitty flew Lyle out. Um, this is about a week before the stay on the boat. And the four stayed on the boat all day. This was, I think, like the 19th of August. Kitty mostly stayed in the cabin. She was experiencing seasickness, and the boys mostly kept to themselves at the front of the bat. Uh, front of the bat. <laughs> the boys mostly kept to each other, kind of chit-chatting at the front of the boat, avoiding pretty much all contact with either parents. <sighs> This is yeah. uh, this is what the staff said. Let me they pay like, for this. Very uncomfortable. Yeah, let me pay for this family trip, and then the whole family is just going to be separate the whole time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> On August 20th, 1989, 911 received a frantic phone call at 11.47 p.m. No. So I will play you that 911 call now. You have it? I have it. Oh, my gosh. Content warning, if um, sounds of somebody in distress makes you really uncomfortable, just go ahead and fast forward a few minutes, probably like two or three minutes is good. I will detail what is in um, the 911 call. That way you don't, you know, again, I can just tell you what's in it. You don't have to listen to it, but it is distressing. So, yeah, absolutely. So, again, this was August 20th, 1147 p.m. Yes. Okay, I want you to come outside. 
Jesus Christ. Wow, that's uh that's hard to listen to and I would I'm under the assumption that they, you know, had something to do with their parents' murders. So if that is the case, that's like eerily convincing. It's it's really sad and it is really just sad. listening he's heartbroken. Lyle is heartbroken. Heartbroken. I'll just read the transcripts just briefly. The 911 call is taking place. Um, woman dispatcher answers Beverly Hills emergency. The caller says yes, and he begins to speak, but he's mostly just crying. Mm-hmm. Um, the dispatcher asks, what's the problem? The caller says, someone killed my parents. She asks for clarification. He just repeats, someone killed my parents. And this is Lyle saying that. She's a little confused. She's saying, are they still are they still there? But she's meaning, is the perpetrator still there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he says no. And the woman says, you know, were they shot? And Lyle starts to call for Eric, but you can't really make out what he's saying. He's just saying, Eric, Eric, like, don't, don't go near them or something like that. Yeah. It sounds like he almost said, like, get away from them. Yeah, get away from them or something. Um, he also tells Eric to be quiet at a certain point. I think he says shut up or something. The woman is asking for help from another dispatcher and says, I have a hysterical person on the phone. I'm not really sure what to do. Again, she asks, is the person still there? Lyle says, I don't think so. The male dispatcher hops on and says, what happened? Are are you able to figure out what happened? And Lyle's just sobbing uncontrollably. You can kind of hear Eric crying in the background as well. The male dispatcher who has now gotten on the call says, who shot who? Lyle says, I don't know. I came home and I found them. And then he asked for confirmation. You you came home and you found who? He said, my mom and my dad. Mm-hmm. And he the male dispatcher is a little confused. He says, oh, you're in bed? What Are you still in the house? The woman dispatcher says, the people that did the shooting, are they still in the house? And at this point, Lyle is so hysterical, he starts saying, let me talk to Eric. Let me talk to your brother. And so they try to get more clarification again. It goes back and forth for a little bit. My mom and my dad, your mom and your dad. Okay. Um, Okay, well, we're sending someone over and it's just a bunch of crying. Um, It's really, really sad. And then they hang up the phone. And then when the police arrive at the scene, they call inside the house to ask the boys to step outside. Yeah. (sighs) Wow. Yeah, that's really heavy. You can tell, like, I mean, I'll be the first to say, like, that seemed like very real raw emotion like that's not something that you can fake so i'm just gonna go out and live here and make an assumption that they are again they had something to do with it but if that's the case then that is truly a guilt cry and a what have i done kind of a reaction so officers arrive at the scene at 22 elm drive and begin to inspect the front of the house and about this, this is about the time that 911 calls back and says, you know, step outside. Two young men are seen running from the front door. They begin to run around the yard, seemingly in distress. The men are, fa- like, falling to their knees. They're kind of punching the ground. They're punching trees. They're yelling things like, oh, my God, and I cannot believe it. The younger man seems to be so hysterical, the older one tries to kind of calm him or soothe him. When police entered the house, they saw both Jose and Kitty lying dead in the den. 
Jose had been shot six times and Kitty had been shot ten times. Oh my god. The brothers stated that they found their parents this way after being out to see a movie and had gone to a local food festival. The brothers were not immediately suspects, given the amount of emotion that the boys were experiencing. They were clearly in shock. But the running around the yard and the punching the trees and the punching the ground, that seems a little, like, over... Yeah. Like, overacting. Yeah. I think, uh, I want to say it was Eric that tried to ram his head into a tree. It's a little dramatic. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what I would do in that situation, so I can't speak for, you know, that, but... When they were asked what they thought happened, the brothers said that they had grown increasingly concerned about their mother, that she was becoming incre- incredibly paranoid and depressed. She shot herself ten times? They assumed <laughs> that the couple were victims of a murder-suicide. That's what they told police, though. They said, I don't know, we found them dead. They even said that when they walked into the house, they saw smoke in the air, indicating that they were there when the guns essentially went off. You didn't hear anything from outside or anything like that. You also realize that these people are professionals, right? And they're aware <laughs> well, that you could easily kill... Like They're 18 and 21 at this point. They're kids. But do they not realize that if someone's going to kill themselves, they're not going to shoot themselves? Okay, a minimum six times. Like, ten times, maybe not the mom. A minimum of six times they, someone had to shoot themselves. In that my opinion, make any sense. I didn't feel like whatever they said... None of it makes sense. Of course. None of it makes sense. I don't think that it was something that they were like, okay, let's Here's just say <laughs> that it was murder-suicide. I think maybe just with the commotion of the office, I don't know. They were just trying to, like, well, throw and then if, anything in the air, see if it would stick. What I'm saying is that if you found two people that had clearly been shot, <laughs> would, what would you think? Sorry. You don't know how many times they were shot, right? So they are telling the police officers, it might be a murder-suicide. Even though it's clearly not. Yeah, but, like, that just says something that... Okay, that's like when go... Pe- okay, like, when people call 911 and they're like, oh, my wife was shot 12 times to death. I think it was a suicide, you know, or whatever. Times to death. <laughs> well, do you know what I'm saying? And then they... But it had... Or... Like, when people stumble upon someone who clearly died a violent death, you don't know if it's a gunshot or a stabbing or a whatever. You know what I mean? true or a bludgeoning sometimes there's just been plenty of people that call and it's like i think someone's been shot but they've actually been bludgeoned or something you know so i'm wondering if that's not why they said that is because they're like well shit i have to like remove myself so far away from it like actually pretend like i walked in on these exactly. two people dead and then like Versus. what would i what would i say exactly but the the, fi- the okay let's just hypothetically say that they didn't have anything to do with this the fact that their first one of their first thoughts is to say murder-suicide, like, I would be concerned that that would be the first thing that they said. Like, they're like, well, come to think of it, mom was acting kind of crazy. Well, murder-suicide. It's like, whoa, 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 what's leading you to believe that your parents are capable of a murder-suicide? Jose? Yeah, but the mom? <laughs> yeah, well, but it could have been him, too. He nah, that guy was way too narcissistic. He wouldn't have killed himself. That's true. I'm sorry, I don't want to speak no, of the dead, I'm, and no, I... fine. I... I do feel poorly for this whole situation, but that guy, Jose, was a... I don't think he deserved to die, of course, but he was not a good human. He's a shithead. Can I have some toilet paper? Some toilet paper. Not the piece that you've blown your nose on. Thank you. I had to cut that part out because I pulled toilet paper over the microphone and it was very loud and then I blew my nose very loudly, so you didn't hear that interesting part. Back to the story. Back to this horrible crime scene. The boys stated that Kitty had actually tried to take her own life before, 
a few years prior. Say what? By trying to overdose on her medication. That's really sad. Lyle also said something about maybe the mob was involved. Okay. Which is like the, like, it's the real world. <laughs> We're just so important that the mob is really worried about us. And they just came over and they just did this horrible crime. But at this time, nobody knew who Jose was capable of doing dealings with. That's, honestly. That, that is true. That's true. Neither of the boys were tested for GSR or gunshot residue. Um, they were just weren't suspects. They didn't suspect them at all. Once the autopsy revealed how many times the couple were shot, of course, detectives knew that this was a homicide. Done. Yeah. The autopsy had also revealed that there was kind of a strange pattern when it came to the order of the shots. It seemed like there were several somewhat superficial wounds to both Jose and Kitty, but the seemingly fatal shots were both in the head from behind. So, like, unlike a mob shot. And also suggesting that they were probably dead after the first shot and all the other extra shots were just, like, a big old fuck you. They were, like, like, well, the reason that they determined that was because of the pooling and the way that the blood had pooled. It was, like, leg, leg, arm, arm, chest, head. Like, kind of in a very specific way. Like, to torture the shit out of them. I see what you're saying. So the the fatal non, gunshot were, they, was the last one. Yes. Oh, well, that's so awful. Kind of. Like, they would have bled to death just from the amount of damage from their bodies. But... But the fact that the perpetrator hit the back of the head last, A, to, like, probably ensure death, or B, just... It didn't need to happen, but they did. So... Okay, I was under the assumption that they were shot in the head first, and then the rest of their no. body was shot with the other bullet. So they shot them multiple times about the a, body, seemingly then, while they were still alive, and then moved to the back of the head. Oh my god, that's so awful. And I'm wondering if that's not what gave them this like mob thing. It was like, oh shit, like the mob just wouldn't stand there and like blow people away. They'd like execute them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess. Given the amount of shots that were fired, the killer would have had to reload in order to give the few fatal shots that Kitty received. Oh, By the way. So Five days later, on the 25th, a memorial service was held for Jose and Kitty. They were both buried together in a grandiose ceremony. Lyle was stoic, and Eric's face was swollen from crying. Lyle began to talk to participants about his intention of taking over Jose's position in the business. Five days later. Five days later. He's like, okay. You don't have a college degree. Business has got to keep going. You're failing all your classes. Yeah, let me, let's just give you a company. What is going to fucking... Oh, my God. What is that? Is that uh, the hangover when he's like, oh, I'm going into the family business. Like, I'm a doctor. <laughs> oh, it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, stepbrothers. No. Oh. <laughs> I'm going into the family business. Dale, I'm a doctor. <laughs> you can't just go into the family business. <laughs> you have to earn a degree, dummy. <laughs> <laughs> Go into the family business. Unbeknownst to the mourners in attendance, the brothers had begun spending Jose and Kitty's money for the last few days since they were murdered. Like, the day after they were killed. They were like, oh, all this money, here we go. Most notably, included in a shopping spree just three days after the murders, included $15,000 Rolex watches. Each. Actually, they bought three. You know, just... One for Craig? Yeah, one for Craig. <laughs> Craig. Sorry, I don't want to lump him into this. <laughs> Poor Craig. One for Donovan. <laughs> no. Oh, Donovan. Oh my god. That's like, that shows lack of remorse right there. They're just like, okay, well, what are we going to do with all this money that we just got? Like, that's terrible. 
I feel really bad for saying everything that I said earlier about Jose. <laughs> I do. The boys expected about $90 million in inheritance. Jesus. Including the $14 million home that Jose and Kitty resided in, boats, cars, the Calabasas property, and 330,000 shares that Jose had in live entertainment, each share worth $20. Jeez. However, the boys would be disappointed that after taxes and loans, they each would only receive just a mere $2 million. Oh my goodness, just a $2 million. I'm so sad about that. I've never like, fucking seen that much money in my life. Not enough. That is you kind know. of like really hilarious, though, that they would only get $2 million out of 90. Well, that, well, because, you know, the cars still need to be paid off, the boats still need to be yeah. paid off, the houses need to be paid off. Like, it's not all your shit, right? Yeah, fucking dumbasses. That's probably Ugh. what they thought. They were like, we'll just get all this money, and then we'll just, you know, do whatever we want for the rest of our lives, we'll be rich. But whatever, because they were also expected to receive that $20 million life insurance policy, yeah. right? Oh, okay, so $12 million each, not mm-hmm. $2 million. Actually, that was incorrect. The insurance would not pay it out because Jose actually never went in for the initial physical. Uh, that is not correct. <laughs> not correct yeah this lazy bum didn't go get his physical he was too busy he was too busy living the perfect life how could he couldn't even go get the physical so they just vetoed the life insurance policy yeah they were just like well he never went to take care of the rest of the process so no there's no 20 million i bet the boys felt so silly after that they were like damn it (laughs) sorry that sounds really bad but like Silly. (laughs) Oh, whoop, my mistake. Shit, we just killed two people, and we could have just asked these questions first. (laughs) God, no, that's really, that's really bad. They're children. They don't fucking think about things like that. That is so, like, the thing is, is, like, this is one of those cases that, like, I feel, like, almost just as bad for the kids as I do for the victims. Because they're victims, like, in in themselves. Like, they had no fucking chance growing up. It gets worse. Oh, God. Either way, Eric and Lyle were too scared to stay at the house. They feared that whoever murdered their parents may have sought to kill the whole family, or maybe the intended targets were the boys all along. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Like those cross eyes. The brothers stayed at friends' houses (laughs) and hotels. (laughs) And uh, they they even racked up an $8,800 hotel bill... Under live entertainment. entertainment. $8,800? $8,800. For five days' day. For porn? Mostly it was uh, food. Like uh, room service. Oh, under live entertainment, like the company. Yeah. Jose's company. Ooh. Jose's company paid the $8,800 for them to stay in a hotel room for five days. They ordered live entertainment. I was like, live porn? <laughs> Pay-per-view. Stripper <laughs> ground? <laughs> Yeah, no, Live Entertainment, Jose's company paid the $8,800 okay, okay. hotel bill, yes, um, for five days. They also provided the boys with limos and bodyguards because, because of the mob. Still, this did not stop the boys from spending more and more money. They each rented apartments, with rent being over $2,000 a month for each one of their apartments. Bought it out, right? Lyle hired more bodyguards after Live stopped providing the bodyguards. He hired more bodyguards that followed the boys around for weeks after the murders. Soon, some would question why the boys were always out and about and not hunkered down in safety if they were so concerned. So concerned for my safety. so concerned, but they're out and about, like, eating, drinking, shopping, all this stuff, right? Well, they have bodyguards. They're fine. Sure. 
from the mob. A bodyguard can save you from the mob. Well, this is brought up later in the trial, but it's, like, one of those things where it's, like, okay, Lyle hired these bodyguards even though they knew that they were the perpetrators. Either A, meaning that he didn't give a shit about how much money it costed, or, like, B, he was trying to further the lie. And that'll be really important later. Yeah. So, around this time, Lyle began to tell people that his uncle had connections with the mob and came to some kind of agreement with the mob that, like, the boys' lives would be spared. (laughs) You know, because, like, the mob's cool like that. You know, like a liar. (laughs) Like a liar. So, when people were like, oh my gosh, you don't have as many bodyguards around, like, whatever. What's going on? It's probably because they were fucking running out of money. Yeah. And he couldn't have them around anymore. And so he had to, like, make something up and was like, oh, no, the mob's cool with this now. But part of it is that I can't answer any more of your questions because I told them I wouldn't talk about it. Oh, my gosh. Just, like, a big-ass farce. Yeah. $24,000 in stereo equipment, a Porsche for $64,000, and over 90000 in private flights from New Jersey to California later, the boys showed no signs of stopping their spending habits. Oh, my gosh. What was he going to New Jersey for? Well, he still kind of lived in New Jersey. For he was going to prison. For, he was going to prison. He was going to <laughs> Princeton. <laughs> well, well then. No, he was still kind of going to Princeton, too. Oh, okay. So. By the end of the year, however, the brothers would spend over $1 million. Remember, the crime happened in August. Oh, my God. So by the end of the year, like, you know, like three months later. $1 Why would he even go back to school? I feel like... He doesn't need to go... I mean, in his mind, he wouldn't think that he would need to go back to school because he had all this money. He already just spent the fourth of their fucking inheritance. Like, that's crazy. At first, investigators had no reason to think that the boys had killed their parents. In fact, there was about a billion people who would have had enough motive to kill Jose. Because he was such a dick. He was, after all, this tyrant in, in, in his businesses. But who would also want to harm Kitty? Yeah, exactly. The police took this into account and, of course, the brother's spending, which is pretty sus. Pretty sus. Pretty fucking sus. Pretty sus. Pre-sus. Pretty sus. Pretty sus. sus. <laughs> they also learned that shortly after the murders, the brothers contacted a computer expert to erase Kitty's computer, which conveniently held the contents of the last will and testament. Oh my god, that's yeah. so... Wait, why do they want to erase it, though? erase because they were they might have been written out of it oh yeah yeah or altered or something investigators went to visit eric to talk about the night of the murders he seemed genuine but closed off and the police could tell that he was really nervous uh yeah (laughs) eric mentioned that lyle's spending habits were completely out of control and that his behavior had begun to resemble their father's oh no and I, I do remember looking at it, I think maybe during this time, Eric had only spent, like, $10,000. And it was all Lyle. It was all Lyle. Jeez. Yeah. Which mostly Eric, um, I think most of his spending had to do with, like, tennis. Like, he really poured himself into tennis after the murder <sighs> of his parents. So Once police left, Eric called Lyle, but Lyle didn't receive his phone call. Desperate to find somebody to talk to, Eric called his therapist and asked that they have an emergency session. No. Eric explained that he was in a huge amount of pain due to the grief he was experiencing with this entire situation and that he was struggling with suicidal thoughts. Oh my god, I really feel bad for him. I know. (laughs) Ugh. 
It's like you don't want to feel bad for him, but like you do kind of. Yeah. By the end of the session, it had become too much for Eric to hold in any longer. No. He had admitted to the therapist, quote, we did it. We killed our parents, end quote. Oh, my God. I bet, like, all of the he's and all of the G's <sighs> happened in that room, like, right at the same time. I would be like, what? Because I guarantee you that wasn't on his radar at all, the therapist. I don't think it was. I don't think it's not on anybody's. That's the thing. Like, they're That's not even being investigated. Wild. <sighs> wow. And what a that, fucking this, monkey wrench. This is the same therapist that he's that he Been sought. Seen. Yes. So he's known for, him for a long time. For the problems with his dad, seemingly. Like, who knows what they talked about as far as his parents go in exactly. those sessions. Eric began to detail the crime, but his therapist stated he didn't want to hear any more without Lyle. I would have done the same thing. I would have been like, shut your mouth. I don't want to. I don't want to know. Like, hold on. Let me get my recording device. Yes. And let me get the cops and a lawyer. Eric called Lyle again and told him to come home immediately. And you would think that the first course of action would be call the police or notify authorities. But, no, hold on, but that could potentially spook them and they could try to flee. Yes. So that might have been what the therapist was thinking, like, let me get my facts straight before I make this call so that we know we have everything correct. The therapist then allowed the boys to talk and confess to the crimes. He was at their house? He met them at their house? No, I think, well, when Eric initially went to go see him, they went for a walk. And then when Eric admitted to it, it was, like, almost on the steps of the building of the therapy office. And so they walked inside to the bu- in the building. And then he called Lyle and said, I need you to come over here. Like, I told the therapist. Oh, okay. Because I, I thought you said, I need you to come home when he called him. That's why. Yeah, well, Lyle was, I'm pretty sure Lyle was in Jersey oh, or I see had what you're just saying. come okay, back from okay. Jersey or something. Gotcha. So, like, he wasn't answering right away. So he, I thought, okay, I misunderstood. You meant home as in California, not as in, like, their house. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, Lyle and Eric, I don't know if it was, like, hours later or whatever, um, when Lyle was able to show up at the office, um, they began to admit to the crime. Wait, that's interesting to me, because I feel like Lyle would have been like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, absolutely not. Why did you say that? He's just lying. No, he's just... He doesn't know what he's talking about. I feel like he would have, like, tried to talk himself out of it. Let me finish. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm jumping the ghetto. You're looking at me like, shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Lyle and Eric talked about them purchasing shotguns two days before the murders. They talked about how they both shot together, and when they ran out of bullets, Lyle was the one to retrieve more ammunition from the car to end Kitty's life. Her suffering, rather. They talked about how tired they were of their father, and not only that they were mad at Kitty for allowing it to happen, Mm -hmm. but that she likely would have taken her own life anyways if her husband was dead and her sons went to prison for life for committing the murder. That's not a decision for you to make for her, though. I understand. I'm not telling that to you. I'm just saying that in general. Like, that is the most backwards way of thinking. Yeah. That she just would have suffered, like, socially... And that, and financially, and, you know, she wouldn't know what she was doing with, like, the money. So they're, like, justifying it to themselves that they did something right. Like, they put her out of her misery, yeah. almost. They prevented her from that suffering. That's, oh, that's disgusting. The brothers had waited about 10 to 15 minutes after the shots rang out, expecting that a neighbor would call the police. Yeah, I was uh, thinking about that earlier, too. I was like, why? Like, did anyone else call? That night? Right? That was a lot of shots. such an affluent area. Police response time was usually just a few minutes in this area, so when the cops didn't arrive after a while, the boys gathered up the shell casings, the guns, and hopped into Eric's car. Eric was so distraught that he couldn't drive, so Lyle did. 
They drove up and down the streets, all the while looking for somewhere to dump the evidence. They found a random set of bushes off of Mulholland Drive and ditched the guns there. On the way back to the house, the boys placed their clothing and the shell casings in a dumpster behind the gas station. Trying to further create an alibi, the brothers had known of a small gathering at a local restaurant with some of their friends were in attendance. Eric was entirely too distraught for this, so the boys decided to head home instead and place the 911 call. Lyle was not happy about all of these details being expressed to the therapist, but Eric seemed to trust the man so well, and this would be proven by fact that the therapist did not say a word to police. What? However, the only person who would actually be the one to break the case was someone that the therapist told. You're a mandated reporter. If you know that a crime has taken place or is going to take place, you are legally required to report that. Oh my gosh. Yep. That's you, Q-Ball? His lawyer? (laughs) (laughs) His therapist? So, Judalon Smith was actually dating Eric's therapist. One day on March 5th, 1990, she was sitting in an adjacent room in the therapist's office when Lyle Menendez stormed through the office and into the room where Eric and his therapist were seated. He slammed the door. That was the day that he came in to confess, quote-unquote? Okay. Judah heard the men arguing and could make out small sentences like, quote, I can't believe you told him, end quote, and, quote, I can't kill any more people, end quote, seemingly to threaten the therapist. Oh, hell no. Judah would contact the police about this information. So eight on the 8th, which was three days later mm-hmm. after this conversation happened, the seeming confession, police confiscated 17 tapes and three pages of notes detailing the crimes, and detectives soon realized that there was something far more sinister potentially happening inside the Menendez family. What? So, just a recap, right? Homegirl is just, like, sitting in her boyfriend's office. Lyle Mendez comes walking in. Eric is already seated in there. Lyle has, like, said, I can't believe you told him, and then blah, 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 right? Like, uh, seemingly threatening the therapist to not tell anybody, like, oh, I'm going to have to kill any more people. Anybody that yeah. knows, I'm going to have to kill. So she had confessed to police around this time, whatever, like, either the next day or the 7th. Either way, on the 8th, they go into the therapy office, they confiscate 17 audio recordings, 17 tapes, tapes, not even recordings, tapes, and three pages of notes detailing all of this information. So he, what I'm saying is that I think the therapist was a little corrupt. I think he was like, he knew let me get happen. all of this information and maybe one day I'll write a fucking book, you know, or some shit like that. You know what I mean? Do you think he knew that it was going to happen before it happened? Like, based on what Eric was saying or like... No, I don't think so. I think like, I think he really knew that Eric was troubled and I think that Eric did find a lot... And of course, Eric had Lyle for so long to be this father figure... I'm wondering if he didn't bond that way with his therapist. Like so a they, man that could give him advice and he could be open and free with. So they confiscated 17 tapes and pages of notes just from that one day? No, I think it was probably over the course of, like, anything that would be pertinent to maybe the murders or something like that. Okay. So I don't think it's necessarily all detailing the crime, but it was probably... they Supporting probably went, evidence or whatever. Supporting evidence, yeah. yeah okay. Of him, of whatever, right? Okay. So yeah. what was happening in the family? We'll get to it. On the afternoon of the 8th, Lyle left the family home with some friends to go have lunch when he was pulled over and arrested by police. So same day that they confiscated the tapes. 
When the police asked where Eric was, Lyle told him he was out of the country. Which is like, what? Eric? What? When I was like, oh my god, what? What happened? Well, it didn't really seem like that, right? Well, I told you earlier that Eric had poured himself into tennis, right? He was actually in Israel for a tournament. Oh, he actually was out of the country. He actually was out of the country. Asking the family if they think that Eric was a flight risk, they told the police, simply tell him that Lyle has been arrested and he will come home because he loves him so much. And that was true. That's true. Yeah. It was true. He hopped on the next flight to come home once he heard. Wow. Yeah. He wasn't going to leave his brother. That's really (sighs) sad. (laughs) Eric immediately came home and was promptly arrested. Although the detectives had found what seemed like confession tapes, they had no real actual evidence that the boys had committed the crimes. Any fingerprints that would have been in the house, of course, would belong to the victims and the brothers, since they lived there. Mm -hmm. And they hadn't found the guns yet, but they eventually did find records of sales for the guns that were issued to two of the brothers' friends, which were forgeries, one of them being... um, Craig, I think. And Craig was like, I was in fucking wherever. Poor Craig, damn it. Yeah, it was like Craig and Donovan again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, so these two guys, I don't know, Craig and Donovan. Yeah, they came in here and they bought shotguns. Donovan's like, I haven't even been to California. (laughs) Either way, the paperwork, it was forged. Um, All kinds of weird, like, it didn't even match driver's license or like whatever. It was, it was bogus as shit. So their arraignment was held on March 28th, where both boys pleaded not guilty to the charges of first-degree murder. Even though they fucking admitted it already. The remaining members of the Menendez family showed their support for the boys, saying that they would always stand behind them throughout these horrible circumstances. Oh, how... It's so sad that they've been falsely accused of this crime. (laughs) The judge allowed the therapy tapes to be entered into evidence, and furthermore determined that Eric's therapist worked within his means of confidentiality when it came to what the boys had told him. No, confidentiality is... Confidentiality is trumped when a crime has been committed. Yes. This doesn't make any sense. Mostly, I believe it seems like maybe he was like, well, this is an isolated incident. They've been having problems with their parents for so long. They're clearly not a risk to anybody else in society. I don't. Maybe only a risk to themselves. That wouldn't. Eric said that he was contemplating suicide. That's also a mandated reporter's job. Yeah. If you think someone's going to harm themselves. I I stand by what I said. I think he was trying to gain, uh, like, gain this, as much information as he possibly could because he wanted to be on that side of it. Yeah. He wanted to know everything. Oh, no, man. You know what I mean? But either way, it kind of benefited the police because they have these recordings now. Yeah. So... Once the tapes were heard aloud in court, the vast majority of the Menendez family re- retracted their support for the boys. Like, straight up. They were like, bro, nope. deadass, I might do the same thing. <laughs> yeah, just be like, like, no, like, we stand by you. It's probably the mob, you know, yeah, <laughs> whatever. Like, damn, they did it. Like, they fucking did it, and they just, some of them just got up and fucking left. I, I and might just like, the same not going to be a part honest. of this fucking circus. With the trial yet to begin, the brothers were sent to live in the Los Angeles County Jail in the high-profile wing. This wing housed the infamous Richard Ramirez and O.J. Simpson. What? Right? They were confined to single cells. They had to be not together. Because they're not allowed to be on a team. Yeah. Well, during... (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) They can't be in the general population. You have to find yourself a single sport. (laughs) Yeah. God damn it. 
During this time, Eric struggled with suicidal thoughts and sought the company of a priest who would often come and visit Eric as sort of a counsel. Eric would talk about his life, the crimes, and then back to that age-old secret we keep talking about, right? Mm, still want to know what it is. Lyle spent most of his time on the phone, which all the inmates took notice of because he was a fucking hog, and I guess he could <laughs> afford it. <laughs> he could afford to be on the phone all day, yeah, but people true. got pissed off about that because it was I'm just su- him blabbing on the phone all day. Well, I'm surprised that money didn't get taken from them. Like, I mean, technically it's still their inheritance, though. True. As long as, well, like the life insurance policy wouldn't, but their yeah. inheritance. That's yeah. true. Lyle always seemed to be plotting an escape, by the way. On what several narcissists. I know. On se- like, just he's also Joseph. like 22 and he's a dummy because he's can, young. I can get out of this. It's just stupid metal bars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just a reinforced steel. He's on the phone, like in front of the CEOs. Like, they're just stupid bars. You can totally just break into this reality. Can you, like, sn- smuggle me in a chisel, please? Yeah. Thank you. On several occasions, when being returned back to Lyle's cell, CEOs would notice that his leg chains would be cut or taken apart. How did he have time to do that shit? I don't fucking know. If he's on the phone all day, I don't know. Several notes had been found in Eric's cell describing different escape options or certain places listed in South America that they could hide out in. This is Written like to him from Lyle. Not yeah. a very well-run no. jail. <laughs> well, it's just a jail. That's They're true. Not it's prison. not like a prison. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. I was like, dude, this guy thinks he's John Dillinger or something. <laughs> he's just like, oh, I'm just going to escape one day. He's D.B. Cooper. <laughs> In one of these letters, Lyle wrote that he would never turn on his brother, and that if Jose and Kitty were still alive today, they would commend them for never leaving each other. He said, quote, I am not an ordinary person. I do not see things in terms of manslaughter and life terms. I only see win, loss, honor, and dishonor. Dad is watching me, and I will not disappoint him or mom a second time by giving up and having their deaths be in vain, end quote. Hmm. Which is interesting. It is interesting. Eric almost thrived in jail. Routine is always good. We say that, right? Lyle, not so much. He was seen as a problem. There have been talks of at least one occasion that Eric was seen being intimate with another prisoner... Oh, that comes back around. But this has not been confirmed by Eric. Wow. So I don't know if that's true. God, that poor thing. It's, like, been ingrained in his mind that, like, his way of, like, thinking is wrong. Yeah. (sighs) On May 14th, 1993, the boys would begin their trial, and they would be tried together, which I found interesting. That is very interesting. The judge's reason for this is that it would save time and money. Oh, also, cut corners to save time and money. There would need to be complete duplication, meaning same witnesses, same testimony, same evidence. And I guess it just made sense to her. We just don't have time for that. We just don't have time for that. I'm, just, I'm very busy. Yeah. I have things to do. <laughs> I went to an Ivy League school. Yeah, I don't understand that either. In in kind of a weird way, though, I think that the brothers would have wanted it that way for, like, support of each other, though. Because well, yeah, they literally but... sat next to each other the whole time. I just, I, I get it that it's kind of, like, same crime, and, like, they kept maintaining that they did it at the same time, or, or they had at least said that in the therapy session. Um, yeah. Touching. So, prosecu- prosecution... <laughs> The prosecution, of course, laid out their case. Two rich boys who were so greedy, they were greedy enough to kill their very cookie-cutter, successful life, successful parents in order to obtain their hard-earned fortune, Mm. right? The defense had laid out their case. 
that Jose and Kitty Menendez weren't just terribly mean to their children. They were downright abusing these boys. Not only that, but each had suffered sexual abuse by their father, and their mother covered it up. No. So content warning, we are going to be talking about child abuse, um, explicitly, like, sexual child abuse. If that makes you uncomfy, thank you for stopping by, but that's pretty <laughs> much going to be the rest of it. Um, and check out any of our other episodes. We love you. Love you. Bye. I'll give everybody a second. So, there was one problem with this defense, is that the boys had never specifically complained of sexual abuse to a single other person their whole lives, at least not on record. Psychologists testified that many children who kill their parents or someone else living in the house who has been experiencing sexual abuse by their hands often do keep these things to themselves and they suffer in silence until they explode. It's only after many, many years of abuse do these children snap and fight back. That's so sad. And usually when these cases do explode, it's usually overdone, representing the, the years of fear and hatred and all that sort of stuff, right? It's, it's overkill. The gunshots. So, there's this, like, diagnostic tool of which has, like, 30-something questions that you might ask survivors of sexual abuse. And both... 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 And both boys ticked most of those boxes. Damn. Things like creating a fantasy world, disassociating with family, stealing, lying, impulse control. Um, not to mention Lyle wanting to hold on to stuffed animals and even bedwetting up until 14. Mm-hmm. Those are all signs. Um, not wanting to be alone, really clinging to, like, one person, which the brothers found in each other. Mm -hmm. And the girlfriends. Yes. And the girlfriends. especially. Yeah. So it's something that we see throughout their story is them not wanting to be apart. The prosecution laid out more of the theory that the boys intended to murder for money. They spoke about the bodyguards that Lyle had hired after the murders, further perpetuating that the boys hadn't done it, but in a way, this was a continuation of the lies they had been telling. Yeah. Not to mention all of the money was spent lavishly. The defense explained to the jury that this murder was only committed after years of abuse at the hands of Jose. Lyle had been sexually assaulted between ages six to eight, but stopped once Eric became around that age. When Lyle had the opportunity to get away from Jose, he did. That's why he stayed back in New Jersey and the family moved to California. But unbeknownst to Lyle, Eric had been being abused by his father all the way up until the murders. What? Yeah. Keep in mind, he's 18. The week that Lyle came back into town for the presumed family trip, Eric was then told by Jose that he wasn't moving away from college, but staying in the family home. This is almost the catalyst that made the boys snap. In one week, Eric would learn of his impending doom by having to stay at the house with his abuser, and Lyle would learn of the abuse his brother had suffered at the hands of his his own abuser. Oh, my God. An argument ensued over the topic... Jose and Kitty on one side, and Lyle and Eric on the other. In this heated argument, Jose would threaten the boys several times, alluding that he would rather the boys be dead than reveal this family's secret to the world. Because he can't be imperfect. And he, there's, God forbid, he's a criminal. Yeah, of course. And a a child abuser, a pedophile. It was explained that, by the defense, that the boys, still wanting to be loyal and make their father proud, kept the secret even months after incarceration and mental help processing the trauma so it was like even in death they wanted to not not expose that information. exactly and that's why when 
prosecution was saying, why are we just now hearing about this? Nobody's ever said anything about it. Oh my God, that's so awful. They said that it took counseling, like processing the trauma to really talk about it. The prosecution held on to how the murder seemed premeditated, how the boys never sought help for the supposed abuse, and that the spending habits of the boys were extremely abnormal so close to their parents' death. I mean, I agree with that. One of the most disgusting things I have ever heard in my life, and I will go ahead and put a trigger warning out here for that, one of the prosecuting attorneys stated, quote, men can't be raped because they lack the necessary equipment, end quote. Excuse me? It's fucking disgusting. That's absolutely horrendous. And I... Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? No. Ew! That's yeah. so ugly. Yep. That's absolutely... Like, baffling. Like, beyond words. That is so gross. The brothers testified on the stand about the abuse. They both testified. Really? Yes. Lyle revealed that on one occasion he had actually sexually abused his brother as well. I think he was confused. Oh, my God. Or he was made to do it, and I don't know. The boys cried as they described what they had endured over the years and described the week leading up to the murders, including the fishing trip that they took the day before. Lyle and Eric were convinced that the ominous things Jose was doing a few days prior and seemingly this random trip was to cover up or an alibi or scouting mission of sorts that Jose had set up, proving to them that Jose was intending on killing the boys. Really? To them. They felt they like... They thought that? Do you think that they really thought that? Um, or do you think they were using that? I don't know. He did say that he would rather them be dead than... But the only people that know that are the four people standing in that room, and two of them are dead. Exactly. One of the biggest things pointed out in the trial was just how often the boys' attorneys touched the young men. The defense tried to paint this picture like they were these children. They dressed the boys up in khaki slacks and collared shirts, and they brushed their hair to the side. The defense attorneys would often pick lint off the boys' shirts or whisper to them in a childlike manner. The prosecution argued that this type of behavior wouldn't be accepted by someone who just came to the point where unwanted physical contact was no longer acceptable to them. I mean, that's a good point. It's a really good point. Yikes. Like, these people are strangers to you. I don't, and I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying it is. We don't it know. Isn't. We don't know. But it was brought up in the trial. That's a really good point. If I was a prosecutor, I might argue that same thing. Yeah. Especially if it was so unacceptable, you would murder someone because of it. That's true. On January 25th, 1994, after 24 days of deliberation, oh my God. the court declared a mistrial for both defendants as the jury could not agree to whether or not this was cold-blooded murder for money or victims putting an end to decades-long abuse. How awful. Like, how long has it been? And, like, they... All of a sudden, it's like, okay, throw it out. They like, waited trial. 24 days to hear from the jury on this on whether or not it, they were guilty or Almost not. a month. That's crazy. The brothers would be back in court starting August of 1995. They would go through the trial process once more, together again, and on March 20th, be found guilty of both counts of first-degree murder on their parents. Oh, on April 17th, 1996, the brothers would be sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. The brothers were very concerned about whether or not they would be housed together, and the judge said that it wasn't confirmed, but that the brothers would be would know pending a psychiatric evaluation. 
So they had to go through the psychiatric evaluation, although apparently it seemed that the the judge did know that they were not going to be housed together. No. The brothers would ultimately be separated. Their defenders would say that it was a cruel statement, but their doubters would say that the boys are dangerous together. The boys' murder convictions were upheld in February 1998, and as of today, they have exhausted all of their appeals. That's sad, right? Like, I don't want them to be... They just need help. That, like, this is so conflicting for me. Like, I don't know who to feel bad for and, like, who is, like, really, like, worse in the wrong. Yeah. It's like a Gypsy Rose situation. Mm -hmm. It's like, what would you do? Like, if you think that your only way out of that is to kill the person that's been doing that to you or the people that have been directly affecting you in that way, like, what the fuck would you do? Like, that's so sad. I'm, like, gonna cry. Like, that's so sad. Especially because you don't think that you're gonna be believed because you're parents or whoever is such an influence such an influential figure and like a pillar in the community like even um dd blanchard she people knew her they had given her money like and then what gypsy's just gonna stand up and walk and like you know what i mean yeah like how because then maybe she would be labeled as a liar too or whatever that's just so awful like everything that he said that he wanted for his fucking kids was a complete fucking lie like that breaks my heart. Like, it really does. Do you want to hear some nice things about Lyle and Aaron? Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> and I also just want to say, like, I'm not expecting anybody to agree with me the way that I'm feeling is my personal thing. I'm allowed to feel these things. Some people, you know, they're, no, not everyone's going to be on the same page with this. Like, please, if you guys have a conflicting opinion, I'd love to hear it. And I'd love to, you know, chat with you guys about this because this is something that's like, I, again, I don't even know how to feel. You know, this yeah. is just my... My personal reaction, but I'm going to leave it in here because it's genuine. (laughs) So that's all I'm going to say. Lyle was briefly married from 1996 until 2001 when his wife discovered that he was having multiple emotional affairs, pen pals, with other women. But a few years later, Lyle married Rebecca Sneed, and I love that last name because it reminds me of Sneed. Sneedville. Sneedville. He had known her for close to a decade, and they married in 2003, and they are still married today. Sweet. I know. (laughs) In 1999, Eric married Tammy Sockerman. She had a daughter from a previous relationship um, when the two met, and then they married. Tammy would make regular trips to visit Eric, and her daughter eventually called him dad. So that's oh her dad. God. She calls him daddy on earth, so I don't know if maybe her bio dad maybe passed away or something. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, did they meet these? I mean, Lyle knew this girl previously, but did Eric meet this woman through, like, a pen pal situation? Or? Um, is Tammy the... I don't think she's a model, but she's gorgeous. If you ever look up a picture of her, oh, she's beautiful. And she's still beautiful. Like, she will be forever beautiful. She's, like, pressed in time. Um, but <laughs> I don't know. I think that maybe maybe they did. I think maybe she had written him or something during the trial, and then they kept in contact and then married after sentencing. Okay. I'm going to look her yeah. up really quick. She's really pretty. Yeah, oh, my God, she's beautiful. Isn't she? Not that Rebecca's not either. Rebecca's pretty. So Tammy's written a book about her life as Eric Menendez's wife, and the two are still married to this day as well. So happily married. They're both happily married. Although the two would eventually move to the same facility in February 2018, on April 4th, 2018, after 22 years of being completely separated, 
the brothers would reunite when they were moved to the same housing unit. Lyle and Eric cried as they hugged each other, and it was an emotional moment for all who had witnessed it. That's, like, really sweet. 22 years not seeing the person that, like, only ever had your back. God, reunited, and it feels so good. (laughs) Anyways. We're, like, cheering on these murderers. I hope hope you know. (laughs) They were children. They were children, though. I mean, they were legal adults. No, they were. But they, they, they probably didn't have the mental capacity of legal adults, though. They probably I still don't had think so like, either. children's minds because of the abuse that they suffered. Well, and I and I agree with that. And even even when it came to like the learning disability period, I don't know if they had learning disabilities or if they were just told what to do every day all the time. They couldn't think for themselves. They don't think for themselves. There's no like advanced processing there. You know? Yeah. God, that's really a. I, so I don't. When you brought this case, I didn't. I was thinking of a different case of mm-hmm. two brothers, so it was not the same case. Okay. So, and I, I didn't know that story. I know that, like, I immediately in the beginning, I was like, "Let me guess, the dad dies." Like, that sounds really bad, but it, it, it's wild. Like, and again, I, I stand by my, my argument that like, I don't know who to feel bad for, and I really, really think this is a case of nature of nurture for sure. Like. Maybe a little bit of nature because of the way Jose was like growing up. He almost but had Munchausen by proxy. It was almost like, it was without almost like the like, physical aspect. Right. Well, I mean, I guess he. I mean, he's sexually abused, of course. But. Well, yes, for his own gratification. But it's almost Munchausen by proxy because it's he's still getting attention through his children's accomplishments. Yeah. You know what I mean? But he only wanted the positive attention. He didn't want the negative attention, know, and that's yeah. Munchausen by proxy. They don't care if it's yeah. negative attention. Yeah. But. God, that's so, that's just so awful. And, like, that 911 call is eerie. Oh, it's so sad. It's chilling, It breaks dude. my heart. That, I got teary-eyed listening to it just sitting here with you. I know, same. I was like, times. you saw me, like, staring off into space, like, with my mouth open, like. You I, can hear how much pain is being experienced yeah. for, like, literally everything. Yeah. And whether, you know, the sexual abuse allegations are true we can all agree that Jose was was a difficult person. Not mm-hmm. that he deserved to die. I'm not trying to say that. Uh, agreed, yeah. What I'm saying is that it, it must have been sadness over losing his parents, like the adrenaline because you were the one that just perpetrated it. Relief. All of relief because you don't have, you know, like... But then not knowing where to go next, like it was like, oh, I don't know, murder-suicide, and let's drive yeah. around for a little bit, and like, whatever. Like, there's just no real focus and there has been another case where it was that woman where um she she killed her husband while he was sleeping because she was suffering abuse over many many years and so it was kind of this like prosecution says well he was asleep he wasn't harming her in the moment self-defense but the defense saying psychologically she was damaged like she didn't know when the next time something was going to happen so she took her opportunity because it's not in a moment of having to fight back it's you're taking the opportunity to do it when you're not being abused. Yeah. Because you have the strength to do so. Jeez, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, and I I mean, I don't think there's really... I think that if anything, if anybody in this story has a mental disorder, it's Jose. Yeah. Or it was Jose. And mm-hmm. I think he definitely... I think he really... It's funny that we just talked about narcissistic personality disorder because that, stri- that rings a lot of bells for me with yeah. him. 
And I don't think that the boys had that. I don't think that... I think Lyle might have had it, but I think it's because he was older and he and he was pushed into I doing I think it, it was induced, though. Yeah. I don't think he would have had that if he had a better childhood. Right. And that's, like, really... I don't know. That's just, like, through and through. Like, just a terrible, awful story. Like, from the beginning. Like, it, there was, like, no... It, the only people that could have changed the outcome of that were... Especially it was Jose and Kitty, but mostly Jose. Like, yeah, I feel like he, I don't want to say he, I don't want to blame a victim blame at all, but I think that he directly caused not that specific behavior, but the boys' mindsets and mental, you know, mental health issues growing up. Again, nobody deserves to, to get murdered or to die or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. But he directly caused these terrible feelings that the the boys had. And that is... Very unfair. He, like, robbed them of any sort of a, a good childhood or a good, you know, quality of life. I th- I think what's really interesting about cases like this, and, you know, you mentioned um, Gypsy Rose and Dee Dee Blanchard, that, uh, like, parasite like this is very rare. Yeah. It's very, very rare. That's why most of the cases that you hear about it are, quote-unquote, big cases, right? Like, cases that a lot of people know about. It just doesn't happen very often. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's definitely, it's an interesting one. Yeah, that's, I mean, wow, that's a good one. I That was way far off of what I thought you were going to do. And so. especially in the 90s, because the 90s had this kind of heightened, like, court TV was around where you could watch trials all day long. And it, you know, we see a lot of that today, you know, like with um, Johnny Depp, Amber Heard, yeah. like all these, you know, big name cases. And I mean, even today, if you go on, I think it's like, live network dot court or whatever you can just watch court proceedings all day long well they didn't do that in the 90s they didn't they didn't even have or cameras. the 80s rather and they had little sketch people yeah. right but with like oj and like even richard ramirez like those cases around that time late 80s early 90s cases like this were sensationalized and they're gorgeous i mean yeah. come on you know <laughs> they are really good looking guys <laughs> good looking dudes you know i we'll mean we'll post a and, picture on the instagram when the episode yeah drops. and athletic and Again, all of these things that, you know what, Ever shit, everything that Jose wanted, right, for them to be recognized for going to an Ivy League school, to be uh, gorgeous and have, you know, uh, a, a career in sports and all of these things, those are the things that sensationalize this case. It's a little, like, it's a little ironic. It is ironic. That they became, I mean, they became famous, like really well known and really you know known for their accomplishments yeah because because they murdered they murdered the man that pushed them to do all those things god wow that's that was a heavy one man that was a really heavy one i'm gonna get a good night's sleep (laughs) yeah same i'm god man i don't even know how to end this thank you guys uh so much for listening and and hanging out with us um i hope you have been enjoying these long cases I'm, i hope everyone's excited that the mental breakdowns are back yeah we'll have another one coming out pretty soon and then we're just gonna keep going like we have been Th- just keep the wheel turning make it the world a go round um you can follow us on any social media platform at diagnosing a killer with the exception of, exception of twitter which is at killer diagnosis uh shoot us an email let us know what you guys want to hear or just give us your love if you'd like Donate to the Patreon if you'd like. Uh, we love having our patrons. We're still working on some stickers and, again, patches and pins. And, um, yeah, we love you guys. Love and you guys, man. Thanks for hanging out with us. Love you. We love you. Bye. Bye. There's chocolate and then there's lint chocolate. 
Chocolate that has a silky smooth and velvety texture has since become synonymous with Lindt since its conception in 1879. If you're looking for that perfect Valentine's Day gift, Lindt has you covered in chocolate. Click the link in the show notes below to receive a 150-piece Lender Custom Mix, Gold Tote, and Valentine's Tote, all for just $38. This offer is valid between January 30th through February 14th. Get yours today.